1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Lying in 80-degree desert dust under a relentless sun with broken sage jammed in your side isn't the average American's idea of party time. But Alan Sands and I had crossed a 930-foot deep canyon, waded a river, hiked 30 miles, and dodged rattlesnakes for this privilege. We were savoring every moment. Hi, I'm Ron Spomer, and welcome back. What we're going to do to start these podcasts is read some of my old magazine articles, and this is one from the American Hunter magazine, published in 1993, and as I recall, this particular hunt occurred in 1989 or 90. Things are getting a little bit hazy going back that far, but once upon a time, I climbed the canyons for bighorn sheep. So as I said earlier... Lying in 80-degree desert dust under a relentless sun with a broken sage branch jammed in your side isn't the average American's idea of party time. But Alan Sands and I had crossed a 930-foot deep canyon, waded a river, hiked 30 miles, and dodged rattlesnakes for this privilege. We were savoring every moment. Comfortable? I whispered. Yeah, you bet. Al snorted softly, never taking his eyes from the spotting scope lying across his pack. You suppose they'll ever leave? Doesn't look like it, I replied while staring through my binocular. Stupid sheep, I've seen them stand and stare like that for hours. If you had told me a year, a week, even a day earlier, that I'd be grumbling about lying within 70 yards of bighorn rams, one of which sported massive horns broomed back to the circumference of a summer sausage, I'd have laughed. If you had told me a year earlier that I'd find such a ram on a sagebrush flat suited more for pronghorns, well, I'd at least have raised an eyebrow. And if you had told me I wouldn't shoot this dark, blocky ram with the flaring horns, well, I'd have suspected you were a few grains short of a full charge. My, how quickly times change. Let's back out of here, I whispered. Leave our packs to act as dummies. We'll keep behind them and back up until we're out of sight. Alan looked at me as if I were nuts, but then shrugged as if to say, well, it's your sheep hunt. Slowly, we crawled back over the dust and gravel, trying to keep binoculars, spotting scope, and my rifle out of the debris, and in our preoccupation, forgetting our canteens. The sheep just kept staring even after we had disappeared into a depression 200 yards away. Now we were free to find the big rams, two monarchs we had glassed hours earlier from the far rim of the big Owyhee River Canyon. 
Part of us really didn't want to see them again. If the rams were as big as we thought, and if I shot straight, we'd each have to pack a hundred pounds of meat hiding horns down and back across that canyon. <laughs> it's desiccated, treacherous, rocky slopes of that 930-foot canyon with a river crossing thrown in for good measure. Well, it would be a painful but fitting end to five days of arduous hunting. But, as we were soon to discover, things weren't going to end quite that way. To understand why anyone would put himself through this, you have to understand sheep hunters. And if you don't understand sheep hunters, I can't help you. Now, I realize not all sportsmen dream of stalking bighorns in the Wild West, but I can't imagine not wanting to explore the magnificent lands that bighorns call home. Land where the next human you see will probably be back in town. Well, who wouldn't want to roam the isolated ridges where a cool wind rising out of a canyon makes you feel as if you could spread your arms and fly? Well, whoever it is, thank you. Thank you for not applying for the Idaho bighorn permit that I drew. They say the hardest part about hunting bighorns is drawing that coveted permit. And I'll have to take their word for it because I pulled mine out of a hat on the first try. Some unfortunate who's been applying for the last 15 years is going to hate me for that. But what can I do? Some guys have all the luck. And in 1989, that guy was me. My tag was for the California bighorn subspecies living in southwest Idaho's high desert, a land of juniper mountains, sage flats, rhyolite cliffs, and deep canyons that look like Arizona's Grand Canyon in miniature. Vertical walls streaked with golden yellow-green lichens plunge a hundred feet into silver ribbons of water. Towers, rock fingers, ledges, balanced rocks, grassy benches, notches, cuts, draws, and side canyons provide ideal habitat for wild sheep. Water, though, though it may be a thousand feet down, is always available. My partner on this hunt, Alan Sands, was a wildlife biologist for the BLM, which oversees this public land. He told me that if I drew a tag, he could show me where the sheep were or at least where they had been seven years earlier. The place was so rugged and isolated that even he had been there just once. It lay within 20 miles of the canyon in which poacher Claude Dallas had murdered two Idaho conservation officers less than 10 years earlier. The odds for drawing a sheep tag being what they were, only five were up for grabs. I wasn't concerned about not knowing the area. I figured I'd have years to explore it before I finally, if ever, won a tag. Nice thought, anyway. Fortunately, when my unexpected permit arrived, Alan jumped at the chance to tag along. At least I had a fighting chance. We drove out on August 31st, two days before the season opened and we spent those two days hiking their dramatically eroded high desert canyons, looking and listening for sheep. We found stunning scenery, ewes, young rams, a rattlesnake inches from my foot, and two of the other four hunters licensed for that unit. After a frustrating opening morning, we knew we had to find a new area, that fabled pasture of the bachelor rams. A high, rock-rimmed mesa just six miles away looked promising. Thanks to intervening canyons, 
Reaching it took nearly four hours of circuitous four-wheel drive maneuvering. We drove over fields of boulders the size of footballs. Are you sure we're supposed to be able to drive on this? I asked Alan, the navigator, as our heads ricocheted off the roof. Well, it shows right here on the map, Jeep Trail. <laughs> well, you sure that's not a typo? It looks more like a sheep trail to me. Our move, despite bending and denting various parts of my Ford, proved a good one. From camp the next dawn, I spotted eight sheep far to our south. Because of the low light, I couldn't define them clearly, but they didn't look like ewes. We loaded our packs and headed toward them. The eight sheep proved to be eleven rams foraging amid yellow bunch grass. Two had impressive horns with the trademark flare of the California subspecies and good weight out to their broomed tips. The slightly smaller one seemed to be leading the whole band. Whether he went, they followed, and they weren't more than a mile from our position. Unfortunately, across that mile gaped the Owyhee River Canyon. We were loath to traverse it. Well, actually, I was eager to cross it, but Alan, with no sheep tag burning a hole in his pocket, had a cooler head. Uh, let's hunt along this side, he advised. If rams are over there, there's bound to be some over here. You don't want to have to pack one across that canyon, do you? Well, I looked down, down, down to the sliver of water below, and I conceded Alan's point. We glassed and still hunted on our side of the canyon. A giant staircase of rock walls and sloping benches covered with tall sage and big boulders. Sheep could have been anywhere, and knowing that made for a morning filled with delicious anticipation. To avoid detection, we hiked on the high sage flat, approaching the canyon on rimrock points from which we could glass along the benches. Many slopes remained hidden until we were directly above them. At each of these, I breathed deep, chambered around, and peeked over. Rams could have exploded at our feet like quail, and they eventually did, but not that day. We spotted and glassed six young rams that morning, stalking close enough to count horn rings with our 25X loophole spotting scope. In the afternoon, we found three more rams feeding in the sage hundreds of yards from the canyon rim. Their rumps showed above the brush while they grazed, and when their horns popped into view, we studied them quickly. Though legal, they didn't measure up to the big guy across that canyon. I spent the evening seated at the spotting scope of the canyon rim, admiring the cross canyon rams in golden light, while Alan searched in vain for something to match them on our side of the huge crevice. A second band appeared on the far side, about a mile west of the first. It was led by an impressive ram that seemed to have exceptionally massive horns broomed clear back to half curl. He warranted a closer look, but we guessed he was an optical illusion, looking heavier than he was because of that excessive brooming. This was the ram that pinned us in the sage at the beginning of this tale. Partner, I like your idea of shooting a ram on this side, I said to Alan as I hiked back to camp in the cool, silent dusk. But I think the sheep have different ideas. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to go over there. You don't have to go along, but I couldn't live with myself if I shot a small ram on this side knowing there's a big, big one over there. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I'm 
Well, okay, I know, I know, you're right, Alan said, but it isn't going to be easy. Well, if we wanted easy, we'd be golfers, not hunters, right? Yeah, right, Alan chuckled. I knew he'd be with me every step of the way. When coyotes announced the dawn, we were stuffing water jugs, jerky, apples, and cheese into our packs. I wanted to cross that canyon before the desert heated up. We marched briskly across the dry sage flat, reaching the rim before sunup, and there we shed our packs and glassed. Alan, ever the optimist, checked our side one last time. Still there, I said, nodding south across the canyon. Up on top, we could easily pop over the rim rock. The band had the heavy half-curl ram that was near where it had been at sundown, but feeding it a quarter mile away further down the rim, so we shouldered our packs and we started dropping toward the distant murmur of water. At the river, we peeled off boots and socks and waded the cool, shady water, not realizing how eagerly we would approach it later that same day. Then we climbed for an hour, chests heaving, calves tight, brows sweating as we raced to reach the rams before they moved. By mid-morning, we were on top, in the sage, playing cat and mouse with that first band. We'd spot a short-tailed rump through the gray-green brush, then glass frantically as horns flashed in and out of view. We'd swing around one group only to bump into another. Which was the big ram? Should I shoot? Should I wait? Will they scent us and spook? We had definitely found the bachelor ram pasture. From a high point, we spotted the two biggest rams bedded in an open, shallow basin. Approaching them would be difficult, so I decided to slip back for a closer look at that half curl. Sheep, Alan hissed. I crouched and froze. Horns were bobbing above the sagebrush just to our left. Three rams were walking back to the canyon, and we were in their way. I sank out of view, peeled off my pack, bolted around into the chamber and took a sitting position. The front one, Alan whispered. I picked him up with my loophole set at 6X and my heart began to pound. <laughs> the crosshairs found his chest. My finger touched the trigger. Take him, Alan said. The ram was just 70 yards away, broadside. I didn't fire. Scope, I said. What are you doing? Alan asked. Spotting scope. I want a better look at him. The rams caught our movements and stopped. Two rumpled heaps on the ground probably didn't look like danger to them, but we must have looked suspicious. So the staring began. I counted six rings on the big guy's horns. He was an impressive and unusual trophy, but because he was so heavily broomed, I had a strong hunch either of the other two rams would outscore him and look better with their more complete curls. I needed a closer look at them. That's why, after a long, hot standoff, we eventually left our packs and backed away. A cautious, circuitous hike took us to the canyon rim. We would use the rocks for cover and stalk as close to the two biggest rams as possible. We proceeded cautiously lest we jump unseen sheep bedded just under the rim. We had to circle a new band of small rams, but then we went a mile without any mishap, but we couldn't locate the big rams where they'd been in that basin. From our new position, they should have been directly south of us. We shrugged at each other. Well, you suppose they're further out on the stage? Well, it could be, but then... We heard pounding hooves. The rim rock, 
I dashed the few steps back to the edge and saw rumps and horns scattering. The entire band of sheep had moved to the shade of the rim rock while we'd been studying that half curl. Which one? Which one's the biggest? I asked in frustration. They all looked huge from my position behind and above them just 20 yards away. Alan said nothing as the rams raced downhill. I swung my scope from ram to ram and just hoped they would stop and see what had spooked them, but they didn't. 100 yards, 200 yards, 300 yards, gone. For many minutes, we said nothing. Alan was obviously running out of patience. How many legal rams was this guy going to pass up? He must have been thinking. Well, I knew he was due back in his office the next morning. Well, there they are. The rams were picking their way up the far slope, the opposite side. Instead of hiding among the rocks and running further down the canyon, they had crossed the river. There, now we don't have to carry one across the canyon, I joked to ease the tension. We'll just walk over there and shoot one. <laughs> yeah, if they ever stop, who knows how far they'll go. Well, let them go right to the top. You watch. I'll go back for the packs. As soon as I reached the packs... I gulped down my remaining water. It didn't even take the edge off my thirst. Then, before I hiked the mile and a half back to Allen, I found the other rams and spooked them. Well, might as well have everybody on the other side. Allen had marked our rams well up the opposite slope. We hiked a mile east to get out of their view in a side drainage and then raced recklessly down to the river, rolling rocks, slipping and plunging right into the refreshing water. It wasn't safe to drink, but soaking in it at least cooled us down. Unfortunately, the sun vaporized that sensation minutes after we began climbing the scorching south slope. Dust rose above our boots. My throat dried, my lips parched. Each step was becoming an effort. Dehydration was sapping my strength. By the time we reached the top, my head was pounding. At least now, camp was only four miles away. I followed Alan along the rim, watching anxiously below. Nothing. The sun was well on its way to the horizon when Alan announced we'd gone far enough. Should have seen them by now. They weren't any further west than this. I was already contemplating the eight-hour drive to haul Alan out and then the grueling drive back in, but I wasn't ready to give up yet. I'd better check below that one point on that second bench. There was a small area we couldn't see below it, if they aren't there, yeah, then they must have moved. I hurried back while Alan stayed atop glassing. Mine was a long shot. The obscure area couldn't have covered more than a few acres. If the rams were there, they'd be close. I slipped ahead quietly, easing over rocks that wanted to knock against one another. Then I leaned over the rim and peeked. Just rocks, bunch grass, scattered sage, one lone juniper tree. And there... In the shade under that juniper, 14 bighorn rams. I ducked back. I cranked the loophole to 8X. I sat and I slid forward, the slim barrel of the ultralight 284 Winchester in the lead. Rumps and horns. An incredible tangle of rumps and horns. <laughs> Only one ram stood clear of the rest, and it was a youngster. I lifted my binocular and began counting rings. After several minutes, I sorted out the two biggest rams, six rings each. That meant they were seven and a half years old. I could have killed either with a precise shot to the neck, but if the bullet exited, sheep behind them would die. I had to wait them out. 
Eventually, I heard Alan moving above me. I turned and traced a circle around my head to signify rams. He crouched and sneaked in. Right below, under that juniper, 14 rams, I whispered. I motioned him forward. The ultralight rifle was on my lap. Alan took a long look like a thirsty man takes a tall glass of water. Then he slowly leaned back, turned to me, and grinned. Now what? he whispered. Gotta wait him out. Wait for the big ones to get in the clear. Though the two biggest rams could have been twins, one did have slightly longer horns, apparently due to less brooming. He was the one I wanted, and he was in the middle of the pack. The young ram standing on the fringe had seen us and was getting nervous. The others followed his gaze and spotted us. I figured they'd step out and stare like the half-girl had done earlier. Then I'd get my chance. They should start milling around, I whispered. Keep your eye on that big one in case I lose him. Unfortunately, neither milling nor staring were part of this band's game plan. In an instant, they bolted full speed and were gone behind the juniper. Just like that. Gone. Fortunately, they did not continue straight away, but appeared to the right of the tree, quartering away and running downhill fast. Frantically, I searched for the big ram. After five days of hard hunting, I didn't want to miss this opportunity. Which one? Which one? I demanded of Alan. He was watching him through his binocular. Thirteen moving in a tight knot, 150 yards away, and gaining more at every beat of my racing heart. Only the 14th ram, the leader, offered a clean shot, and I knew he was the second largest. The front one? Is it the front one? I asked. Take him, Ellen said. It was time to bring this hunt to a close. I fired, and the ram slowed, then stopped. I shot again, and the mortally hit wounded lead ram fell. His compatriots stood watching, the biggest standing alone and broadside his magnificent horns, a rim-lighted halo in the setting sun. I took a long, bittersweet look at him through my binocular. Then he turned and assumed his new role as the leader of the band. The big herd that had given us two days of excitement and adventure poured into the shadows of Owyhee Canyon and disappeared. <laughs> Boy, that takes me back. <laughs> I didn't remember all of those details. We saw a lot of rams. I do remember one morning counting from uh, our campsite on the rim, 33, there's 33 or 35 rams all in view at once. Wow, that it was a real treat. Say, if you've never hunted sheep before, I recommend you don't even get started <laughs> because it is frustrating. It's so hard to draw tags and it's really expensive. But oh my, if you want a wilderness experience and if you want to hunt an absolutely magnificent animal with some of the most delicious venison out there, you do want to become a sheep hunter. But it's uh, it can be habit forming. If you like big wild country uh, and mountains and canyons, that's sheep hunting. Um, it's just an absolute trip. And you really get in touch with with the wildest of the wild and some significant challenges fighting gravity and steep slopes and all. But 
There are doll sheep up in Alaska and stone sheep in British Columbia, bighorns in the Rocky Mountains, and then way down into the desert, so you get into the desert bighorn sheep. But this California subspecies is really a, a Rocky Mountain bighorn. It's just slightly different because of the ranges it was living in in California and up into British Columbia. And they introduced some of those into the dry canyons of southwest Idaho where that Owyhee River is. And that's an interesting little river too because the name Owyhee River was not what I considered a native Shoshone Indian word. It was sort of made up by, of all things, Hawaiian gold seekers. This is back in, say, the 1880s or so when the gold rush was on in Idaho and folks were hanging around the Boise area um, wondering about that mountain range they could see to the uh, southwest of town. And, and a couple of Hawaiian, native Hawaiians, were there looking for gold. And they asked, well, is there any gold in those mountains? Nobody knew because no one had ever been there. So these two fellows said, well, we're going to go check it out and we'll let you know if we find anything. And they left with all their packs and mules looking for gold in the Owyhee Mountains. Well, they became the Owyhee Mountains because the locals would refer to those Hawaiians who went out there that never came back. They just simply disappeared. So they became known as a corruption of Hawaiian mountains, Owyhee Mountains. Pretty interesting stuff. But that River Canyon, as I mentioned in this article, does look a little bit like, well, actually a lot like the Grand Canyon. You know, and it's not nearly that deep, but it's plenty deep enough when you're crossing it looking for sheep. It's hot and dry and just beautifully dramatic rhyolite walls and, and a carved canyon that's really spectacular. So that was a treat to get to hunt uh, a sheep there. Well, of course, the magazine article had a few photographs in it you probably can't appreciate. <laughs> but uh, you can see here they've got uh, a young version of me with my ram out there in the canyons. But I thought I'd make it a little more immediate by bringing this guy up. <laughs> this is the result of the taxidermist ah, putting our little baby together. Now, I brought that venison home to my family. And I didn't tell the girls that what exactly they were eating, but they loved it. I have never met anyone who didn't like wild sheep meat. And it doesn't taste at all like domesticated sheep. It has just got an incredibly delicious... Oops, I better get over closer to the mic here. It has an incredibly delicious and delicate flavor. It's hard to describe. You just have to have it to appreciate it. But boy, once you do, you're going to want more. <laughs> it's expensive. The per pound cost is pretty high. But boy, the uh, the joy of the adventure is definitely worth it. Whether you get no meat or 100 pounds of meat, you have yourself a heck of an outdoor experience. So that is the story from uh, a 1989 hunt. Oh, by the way, the rifle that I mentioned a couple times, Ultralight Arms, was really something and still is. The manufacturer is just one fella, Melvin Forbes, a heck of a gunsmith and gun maker in West Virginia. And he invented this rifle. Uh, his idea was to create a lightweight sheep hunting rifle um, and to do it, Instead of just shortening the barrel and lightening up the stocks and the things that people tried for years, he thought, let's just start with the steel, see how strong it is, and reduce the size of the action itself, the bolt and the receiver. And by studying the pressure of the, the loads and what that steel could handle, he was able to carve it 
to the to the well, the weight came down to twenty ounces, and most rifle bold action rifle actions are going to weigh something like thirty to forty ounces. So he essentially knocked the weight in half on them, and then he screwed on a normal sporter weight, a light sporter weight barrel, and a Kevlar stock that is really light, and the whole thing comes in at just under five pounds. And then he chambered it at a 284 Winchester, which is a short action round like a 308 Winchester, but it's fatter. It has a rebated rim the same size as a 308, but the body's diameter around it is a half inch, so you can get more uh, powder into it. Winchester had put that out in the early 60s. I think it was 63 or 64 in a lever action rifle, the Model 88. But it never really took off in bold actions until Melvin put it in that Ultralight Arms Model 20. And oh, is that a sweet backcountry rifle. I have hunted a lot with that and it has never failed me. Honestly, I don't think I ever missed a shot with that rifle at game. It was just spectacular. If you are interested in something like that, just check out New Ultralight Arms, the name of the company that makes that same Model 20 rifle, and it's Melvin Forbes in West Virginia putting them together. They are sweet. And that's an important part of sheep hunting. You want to go light because, boy, you're going to be hiking and climbing a lot. Hey, this is Ron Spomer. Thanks for tuning in here. Say, if you uh, like what we're doing here, let us know. And if you like to do something else, let us know that as well. Just send in some comments. What we want to do on this podcast is provide some interesting listening for you. Uh, maybe a little education if you would like to go there. But for now, I'm just going to read some of these old stories that have come out over the last 50 years of my career as a hunter and a writer. Um, and we may pull in some guests. I've over the years met a lot of fascinating folks who make rifles and ammunition and, and hunting gear of all kinds and have had some great adventures of their own. We'll see who we can pull in here. But in the meantime, we'll just read some stories until you guys tell me you're sick of them and then we'll try something else. So thanks for listening. This is Ron Spomer signing off. Hunt honest and shoot straight. Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.